start using cutting-edge warp speed 5G technology with your cell phone. Let me tell you about my friends at MobileMobile.io. They have an ultra-fast 4G LTE and 5G network that covers 99% of Americans. So they've got you covered everywhere. Think about it for a moment. You have the opportunity to take a test drive for 10 days with unlimited talk, text, and premium data. What is premium data? Premium data is an allotment of a cellular data that you receive from a higher priority on the network. You won't get throttled like you will with some of those, well, non-brand service providers. To find out more information, all you have to do is go to mobilemobile.io. That's mobilemobile.io to start your 10-day free trial. This, this, this show is brought to you by Safety FM. Well, hello and welcome to another Jay Allen show. Hopefully everything is good and grand inside of your neck of the woods. So here we are, already mid-September. I'm telling you, I'm so amazed on how quick the time is flying by this year. I just don't know where it's all gone. Anyways, let me not get into too many things and get distracted about things that are going on. And let's start talking right away what I have for you here today, which I really think you're going to enjoy. I actually got to sit down and speak with Francine Scott. Dr. Francine Scott received her Ph.D. from the University of Indiana of Pennsylvania in safety sciences, her master's of public health degree from the University of South Florida and her bachelor's of science degree in engineering and technology, occupational safety and health concentration from the Murray State University. Dr. Scott has over 25 years of professional safety experience and is featured in safety journals and publications that has been presented at many national safety industry events. So today we're going to sit down and talk to Dr. Scott She has something that she has recently done that I really think that you're going to enjoy. Sit back and take a listen to the conversation between Dr. Francine Scott and myself here on The Jay Allen Show. The Jay Allen Show is streaming now on safetyfm.live. I normally ask the, the very simple question is normally how I start off most of these things. How did this whole journey start for you? How did you decide that safety was where you wanted to go into? I started safety the traditional route. You know, I entered university thinking I was going to be an architect. But as you know, you took uh, most students take a lot of courses in the construction group because architects generally deal with the construction of buildings. And I was in that building and a professor by the name of Dr. Linda Bach, Hopefully she's listening. Hopefully she's still in safety. She may be retired. Um, I took a course and that was really what led me down the path to safety. She was like, you're a natural. We had to do a project in class where we defended a chipper. Um, It was a chipper injury. Uh, You know, the little um, how they kind of just chip put they make mulch out of it um it was an injury where a guy fictitiously obviously case study where a guy actually got amputated um due to 
going inside of a chipper and we had to defend whether it was the guy's fault or whether we thought the company bared some responsibility. Now, it's funny how the mind works because I go back to that project and it's like, okay, was I really trying to lawyer on the side of the employee? Um, And could I have easily have been a lawyer? Um, Possibly, but I was really passionate about the fact of, you know, I kept getting stuck on the why. Why did this happen? You know, what could we have done differently? And that is really what led me into safety, a case study, nothing magical. I had never heard of the profession, nothing magical, just that. And she suggested I take another course. Um, It was actually another course by another female who was a visiting instructor uh, she's now a, a doctor in safety too, Dr. Nancy St. Hilaire. I haven't seen these people in years since I left the university, but they were the first two women in safety that I've ever seen. And so that was my journey. Well, I mean, and that's interesting because you do bring up women in safety, which it, now finally, finally, after years and years and years, it's becoming a popular scene. You're being able to see women in safety where let's just be realistic at, at a certain point dur- during the journey. It was kind of like the good old boy network. It was, you had to know some guy to kind of get you in and you had to get used to back then how the guys would talk and all that kind of stuff. So as you went through that process and you're going into this, I'm sure you've seen some odd stuff. So how did that go for you? So, you know what, you bring up an interesting point. And I did do a podcast earlier in this year about the lack of representation and safety, lack of representation. There, we Women make up 22% of the profession right now. The growth in the future is not as, you know, if we get to 30%, we're going to be lucky. And so it still is a very pale and male profession. Um, even for people of color, as much as the workforce is browning up, we still haven't really tipped the scales and really um, produced a lot of diverse safety leaders. And so you still run up against that. But I grew up in a family of kind of tough people. Um, you know, I w- I'm named after my dad. So I'm a daddy's person to some degree. He he owned a construction company. He was a general contractor. Um, he's 86. Oh, this explains a lot. Yeah. I'm, I'm following the sequence here. Okay. Yeah, he's 86 <laughs> now. And I do give him credit, you know, because I have a I have my sister works in safety too. Blood sisters. We both went to Murray State. I started down the path. I'm older than her. She ended up coming to Murray, which was several states away. And so she's in safety. Nonetheless. You didn't throw out the disclaimer that you're older, but you look so you know my dad never told us you know like you there are jobs you can't do I went on a construction site as a kid um and so I was already inside of the construction family so to speak you know everybody knew my dad but it still was people who didn't care you know and so you're coming out there and their perception of you is still like okay you're a little girl you know But my dad was always very powerful with his words. You can be whatever you want to be. You know, there are no limits to you. And I still think that there is some of that going that we need to inspire women leaders and girl leaders um, towards our profession. But if you can see it, you can be it. And so me seeing Dr. Linda Bach, me seeing uh, Dr. Nancy St. Hilaire, that's a big deal because imagine the number of people who are in safety school and they don't see any women in their program. And that's a big deal. So I think representation matters. And so for me, I don't know, maybe it was kismet. 
Maybe it was serendipity. Maybe it was the stars aligning. Um, maybe it was the universe, God, however you want to put it. But that is what led me into safety. I saw women doing it. I knew nothing about the profession and they thought I was a natural fit and they both encouraged me to take the journey. So you, t- so you take the journey, you start off in the journey. I, I don't normally like to name places, but I will say that you worked for a utility in a, in a, in a big town. Yes, we'll, we'll, yes. we'll, we'll go, we'll go yeah. that direction if, that, if that's fine. And then shortly or, or during the, or shortly after that process, um, you decide that you go into another, another town doing some safety coordination stuff, but then you decide to go back to school. I did. So, you know. <laughs> The school thing, I, I have to ask. And then you decided to go to school in in, in, uh, in Tampa, out I of did. all places. I did. So, I did. so why, why the return? I mean, it, it had been a few years as you decided to go back. So, you know, one thing about people, I think, you know, we don't give ourselves enough credit that our life is kind of in quarters and you need to refresh in every quarter, right? You know, it's a big thing. If you think about sports that have time, they go back to the playbook. And so I had done safety for a while and I didn't want to believe that I, that that was it. And that was the only tool in my tool belt, you know, a bachelor's degree and some small town experience. Cause I started off in a large utility. I worked there not that long. Then I went to a smaller city. And so what government or public sector safety gives you is the benefit to practice your craft, kind of protect it. OSHA is never going to cite a city government. It has to be something way <laughs> dramatic. Um, I actually, at the time, something we can talk about now, which it wasn't socially acceptable. I had a family back then too. And so that worked for my life. But when I decided that I wanted to grow up in the profession, I knew that I couldn't just step back into profession and have people take me seriously. I did get my CSP young too. So I was rare in that too, because I've had my CSP almost 20 years. Um, I had my ASP over 20 years. I've had my CSP 18 going on 19 years. And so I had that, but I still wanted to be taken seriously. And what I found is why I went back to Tampa for their public health program is I didn't know enough about health. You know, I thought I knew some stuff about safety and health, and I could tell you the nuts and bolts of safety. But as we talk about things like the pandemic, what's endemic, all this toxicology of different things, diseases, illnesses, things that people, uh, chronic injuries and illnesses and exposures, you really needed that medical background. And that was not something that the bachelors prepared me for. So for me, it was easy to say, you know what, if I'm going to play the long game in this, Really, safety and public health should be together like they are now. They're in a marriage now. Even Harvard has a degree with both married. Um, But they should have been married back in the day because we're responsible for people's health. So we give people tools to talk about the engineering controls and exposures, but we don't really educate them on the health and how, you know, being at work leads, could lead to a lot of chronic conditions that impact your health. And so I felt I wanted to be astute in that, not just say, Hey, I'm, I'm protecting your health. And somebody said, well, what health are you protecting? Right. <laughs> well, I'm not sure, but I know that I am. That's, yeah. <laughs> but here, here you go into something that I love and I'll, and I'll tell you, and I'll tell you a few years later after that, you go into transportation and I'll tell you, I have a love for the transportation industry. So how do you decide to go from utility, public health? And then all of a sudden, I mean, and you have a huge position 
inside of the inside of this transportation company. Why the transition to that? Okay, so interesting. Um, you know, and I, and I, and I love transportation, and I'm not and I'm not joking when I say that. No, you know what's interesting about. You know, we live in a country and sometimes I ask myself, do we really study the country that we live in? Transportation is the heartbeat of our nation. You know, it COVID really brought to light. Well, it, it was brought to light when I was a kid in college. Um, there was a blizzard and all our grocery stores ran out of food. So kind of let that sit with you. Right. And so let's make sure that we clear up that you weren't in Florida. at that no, time. <laughs> no, I was in Murray. I was in Murray, Kentucky, and we got stuck in the blizzard. And I want to say it was of 1992 or something. It was around that time. 92, 93. It was a blizzard. And for like a week, all the roads were closed. And I actually got stuck in Murray because I couldn't get back to Florida. I couldn't get back to Maryland where my dad was. And so I was stuck and my sister, this was her first year. So it had to be 93 and she cried. There's nothing for us to eat. You got me. You just called her out on the show. So she, you know, that was a lesson because I was like, my mom was like, y'all have money. Why are y'all not eating? Because in her mind, you know, the stores had to have something and we're like, the shelves are empty. And so Money didn't matter because the products couldn't get to the people. And so when you look at transportation, just the essence of it, it affords us to be the people we are, whether it is your Amazon package, whether it is your life-saving medicine that comes through the mail. Somebody is moving that. Um, it affords us, even if you go back to prehistoric times, well, you know, Back in the day where we traded, you know, where the people, the early folks, they traded along the river. They were they were in commerce, transportation. You know, they understood that there are some things we need that are up the river in a whole different tribe of people. And there are some things they need that are down here. And so as you study that transportation was important. Another thing is what job could you work on where there's not a piece of transportation? Utility, a big piece of us keeping the lights on, keeping the water on. We got to drive. You know, there is nothing most people can do. Even if you're taking public transit, somebody is driving you. And so I ended up going into that. And I always look at these roles as roles of service. You know, you learn something in my career is I've challenge myself by trying new industries. You know, I'm one of those that to some degree I'm addicted to the life cycle. Like I've published papers on different things, but that is what I say. I want to sit as a student and learn and be able to help. And so what that did was that opened up my eyes and I was in mass transit. So we were moving people. And so, yeah, yeah, people, people, not packages, not people. Packages. Mm -hmm. And so it, it, the, the, this thing that you transport can complain. That's the, that's the other interesting part about it. Yes. And a part that my resume really doesn't talk about is because your resume can't tell everything about you is there was a portion of that business dedicated to the transportation of the uh, disabled community. And so it forced me to be a better safety leader. Now, it's responsible for some of the gray hairs I have um, because you were transporting some of the most fragile people. And so I'll make a point about that before I pitch it back to you. There was a time when I grew up that disabled people were invisible. You know, they were invisible. 
And so there were no, you know, access to transportation because the big thing with the ADA, they gave access to a lot of people who would literally spend the majority of their lives in a back room. Like I had mentally disabled relatives that you never saw get out and about like they are doing now. And so there was there is a piece of that ADA transport that was so noble. And even though it drove me crazy. I still got up every day and did that business as well as I could because I understood that that was given mobility and accessibility to people who were completely to some degree invisible to our society. Now it's common to see autistic children, you know, out and about. It's common to see developmentally disabled people. It's common to see that, but there was a time when I was growing up, you did not see that. And so again, I was tied to the mission of making transport safe and not just making it safe for the average passenger who can go to a bus stop. But we did a portion of our business where we picked up disabled uh, citizens from their door, door to door, to get them to not just to their doctor's appointments. Obviously, we want to make sure that everybody's getting there, but they did stuff like going to the beach, going on trips. Um, and so this was really a noble thing. Now, I, like I said, I aged in dog years. Mass <laughs> transit is dog year aging, you know. <laughs> so, yes. This is The Jay Allen Show. You know how sometimes in life you have those moments of shoulda, coulda, woulda, you know? You know what I'm talking about. It happens all the time to people. So let's talk about that very sensitive subject of male pattern baldness. Don't go through that moment where you're going, I shoulda, coulda, woulda. Let's talk about my friends at Keeps. Two out of three men experience some form of hair loss by the time they are 35, with more than 50 million men in the U.S. suffer from male pattern baldness. You don't have to be one of them. Think about this. There are only two FDA-approved medications that can prevent hair loss, and my friends at Keeps offer both. Keeps offers simple, stress-free way for you to keep your hair. Convenient virtual doctor's consultations and medication delivered straight to your door. I mean, I have to tell you, just for the whole sake of not having to leave your house to have the consultation, that should sell itself. But the low-cost treatments start just as low as $10 per month per month and Keeps offers generic versions. Discreet packaging and proven results. Keeps has more five-star reviews than any of its competitors. I want you to think about that. People love the product. Prevention is key. Treatment can take four to six months to see results, so act fast. All you have to do to take action to prevent hair loss is to go to keeps.com. That's K-E-E-P-S dot com slash safety to receive your first month of treatment for free. That's keeps.com, K-E-E-P-S dot com slash safety to get your first month free. That's K-E-E-P-S dot com slash safety. Remember, not everybody has such a beautiful head as mine. So don't be saying coulda, shoulda, woulda. Act on keeps right now. And we are back on the Jay Allen Show on Safety FM. 
Now, now, and it's interesting, especially when you go into the American Disability Act, because it was it's such a huge thing that changed portion of that industry, especially when you start talking about routes and all all kinds of changes that most transportation companies made to be able to benefit um, the, the you know the people that were transporting at the actual time. And it's and it's interesting because when you go from delivering boxes to delivering people, it's entirely different it on how it and how it works. But you know. I don't want to go through your whole resume because you're like, I don't want to recap on some of this stuff, I, I would imagine. But you're a lifelong learner. So a few years later, we won't, talk, we won't talk about big whales or anything along those lines. But you decide, hey, number one, you're going to become an adjunct professor. But at the same time, too, you say, hey, I haven't had enough schooling in my life and I'm going to go after my doctorate. So why did you decide to go after your doctorate after so many years? So good safety leaders build good safety leaders. It is our job to grow the profession. It's your job too. This radio show helps, but it is our job to grow the profession. And, you know, the pandemic, I got my degree right before a pandemic. I defended in 19. I was supposed to walk across stage in 20. It wasn't even a big deal. It's showing on my degree in 20, but I actually defended in November of 19. Um, but I wanted... For sure, if you don't mind, for people that don't know, can you explain that to them? Because they, they might not know what you mean by the, the defense of your uh, dissertation. Yeah. If, you, if, you, if you want to go in that for, for a brief moment. Where you put your, you put your idea, right? Everybody, you have to create something when you're doing a dissertation that adds to the body of knowledge. You know, you can repeat what someone else did, but you had to put a spin on it. Um, and so when you're defending, you're defending why your idea, your paper, your hundred page, you know, lifelong passionate you know, whatever, why it matters. And the academy tears it apart. They either say, yeah, oh, it matters. Tearing it apart, they destroy it. <laughs> yeah, they tear it apart and they make you defend not just why it was important, what it is adding, why it is different. And also, you know, the results, what you found, you know, and how you would explain it, what it's going to do for the profession, society as, as a whole. And so your defense is really you being on the defense about why you took three, four, five, up to seven years to study something, why it's important and what it's adding to the body of knowledge in whatever area you're trying to, you know, add to. So I defended in November. The Academy said, yup, you, you know, you yep, come on cross. Welcome, doctor. You know, but what I actually studied was futuristic. I looked at if I only have two to three minutes to teach a risk-based concept to teens is virtual reality better is video better or is just giving them the facts better. And so, you know, obviously we have birthed and I say, we, whether you have kids or not, you got nephews, godchildren, friends of friends, we have birthed a new generation of text touch type. They're digital natives. And so it, it never even um, 
Something that I actually predicted was that the majority of kids in my study would prefer virtual reality because they are digital natives. And that is what came out. But I did learn some different things within those preferences about what girls uh, think and what guys think. And what came out of my study is we really and prior research because I'm not taking credit because prior research has done some research on just risk adversity and, you know, how girls and boys see risk. Um, Some of it is inherent, it's hereditary. If you have a father who bungee jumps, you're probably not going to be risk adverse. You're going to be like, I've seen people do crazy stuff all my life. This is what we do. You know, but if you have, now you don't want people to be too risk adverse because you got to be able to take calculated risk. Safety is about mitigating the risk and being able to take a risk, you know, and understanding the potential outcomes, right? They're saying freedom for risk. I don't ever think you're free from risk because risk is everywhere and some risk is inherent in almost everything that we do, but you've calculated or counted up the cost of the risk. And so I was really interested in younger people because it's easier to save younger people than it is to save adults. There I have said it. It's easier to save younger people than it is to save adults because you have what your experiences have told. I, I would put my applaud clap thing, but you know, it, it, it might go a little bit too much. Yeah. You're right. You're, you're spot on about that. And so I guess this kind of leads to the next question all at the same time. So during this process, is this when you start thinking about the book? Is this is when you start thinking about Franny the Safety Nanny? Is this is when you say, hey, I want to move forward with this? Is this around the same time or is this thought already even occurring previous to this? Or tell me I'm I'm totally off on the timeline. No, you right along. So I did a podcast with Michael Taylor um, of the law firm Greenberg Torek early this year in February. It was during, you know, Black History Month. We talked, he talked about the diversity of just the profession. And so we bantered back and forth, but it was a productive podcast and lots of listeners listened to it, but it was just big bets. We need to make big bets. You know, the census data is telling us that in the net, we have birthed already the next generation of diverse you know, workers, they're already born right over the age of five. And so we're going to have to diversify because representation matters. You take stuff. Well, well, you can see it in your, in your kids, friends. So I'm going somewhere with this. I tell my son something is great, but his friends tell him it's golden. Right. And so, (laughs) yes, you're definitely a parent. (laughs) Yes. And so even in looking at age groups, representation matters. If young people co-sign something, young people co-sign something. And so it doesn't matter whatever adult think is cool. If their friends say, yep, it's cool, then it's, it's sold. And so we know this to be true in everything. And so how it kind of led me to the book, I had that and then I talked and then I said, you know what, I'm starting the pandemic forced me to put up or shut up. So during the pandemic, I didn't just write a book because I wrote this book in like an hour. No kidding. You're not supposed to say that. Out yeah, loud. <laughs> yeah. The pandemic forced me. It said, Fran, are you doing safety for just money or are you doing safety to make a difference? So early Hold on, people are, people are going to start thinking there's money in safety. All oh, of a sudden. yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, so during the early pandemic, so many people were dying and I don't want people to be sad, but COVID has just been 
I mean, it has ravaged our society, not even just with the number of deaths, but the number of people it has left disabled, you know, because we're not talking about that either, how it is, you know, changing, you know, you're seeing it and athletes, you know, if you have time, go on HBO, look at real sports. Margaret does a story about some D1 athletes who had COVID and they're long haulers and they can't run, jog and do whatever. And it's affecting a lot of women too. And so, but my mom was actually on a ventilator. Thank goodness she made it on this side of it. So during this, it spawned me and my sister into action. So a couple things happened. We handed out 2000 um, face shields and masks to frontline workers. You know, we geared up and we went out. It was very hard to get PPE, but we were fortunate enough to get it. So we did that. And then as I sat in the house, I started to get all these ideas. So I did Sisters of Safety because me and my sister are both in safety. So we went out and we our goal was just to give out PPE. The next thing I did was I had always been saying I wanted to write a book. And so I give credit to Dr. Sade, who is my publisher at Priceless Publishing. But I also give it to a young lady named Dana Bolden because she wrote a book for her daughter and she published it. And I ended up seeing the book, buying the book. And I was like, I why can't I write my friend at the safety nanny? I had already had her named. And, you know, you put that on your to do list and then you kind of realize life is fragile. And so I needed to get along doing that. So I wrote the book. Um, my husband didn't think I was going to be able to write it in a day. I was like, I'm done. And he's like, you're lying. <laughs> he's like, you're lying. So I read the book to him and he's like, you wrote that. I was like, Google me, put it through a uh, verify. I did not plagiarize. I wrote this book. And so that was a piece of it. And then guess what else I did? I started SWAC, Safety Women of Color. And so I did three things during this pandemic because I wanted to say either you're busy contributing or you're standing on the wall waiting for someone else to do it. And so that's kind of how Franny became alive. And now people are asking me, what is Franny's next? And the other night I woke up and wrote a whole little thing about the giggles and germs, about how we're going to use, you know, how the germs have forced us to take a lot of the joy and the smiles away, even in our even in our family and children. But how we can all work together using Franny's magical PPE to bring the giggles back. And so, but, but let's, let's, <laughs> let's backtrack, though. Let's backtrack for just one moment. So when you come up with a book idea, you do the book, you write the book, you do it over a period of time because you were already thinking about it. You just put it down on paper in an hour. But when you decide, I know what I want illustration wise, because there's a lot more to it mm -hmm. as well. How do you decide that this is what you're going to do? And then did you already have a publisher that no. you were thinking, hey, this is what I no. want to work with? Okay. No. I mean, I'm just trying to figure no. it out. So doctor there's a lot of, a lot of stuff here. So Dr. Sade actually published she published Dana's book and Dana so graciously because people really don't, they sleep on the power of social media, right? I am a weak, I'm a weak, yeah, I'm a weak social media person up until now. Franny has her own persona, so she needs help. But, um, I wasn't really all into social because I was so into the life of, I thought my life. Right. And so I wrote this down. I saw the book. I saw Dana. Dana so graciously was like, call Dr. Sade. Dr. Sade really, you know, she got her PhD and she self-published her books. And now she has a full on publishing company where she's publishing books. And, um, she was like, uh, Fran, I can help you. And that was just how simple it was. It was 
boom, just like that. And so maybe it was kismet. Maybe it was the stars aligning, <laughs> but Priceless Publishing published my book. And she's like, yep, we can help you. And so how did you decide what the illustration, how did you know what the illustrations were going to look like and all that stuff? I told her I wanted diverse kids. I wanted right. my book to be to to reflect all kids, you know, I and I, I really fixated on just our hair because the pandemic has allowed me to be my full. Oh, that I have not. <laughs> it has allowed me to be my full authentic self. And I wanted kids to run the gamut. You know, I have every um, type of girl in my book, you know, and so that is really who I am, you know, and I'm embracing that. And that we talked through it. She saw the vision. Um, she probably said, friend, it's getting on my nerves because I would go back and say, could you make <laughs> could you make this girl looks like this? Could you put the heart here? Could you do this? And I grew up with imaginary friends. Right. We don't talk enough about imaginary friends and people dreaming. And I know we grew up. We would see the little devil on the shoulder and the little angel. Yeah. And well, I still do. What are you talking about? <laughs> and so Franny is really just an imaginary nanny. You know, and so I did get some pushback from a couple professional safety women. I've spent my whole career not wanting to be called a nanny. It's like, stop. This is for kids. And she's imaginary. Right. Because in the end of the book, it says Franny want kids to be safe and to be sound. But Franny understands she can't always be around. So she leaves them her cap which has magical powers and a safety roadmap and tells them to call her with a small heart tap by tapping their hearts. They immediately see Franny is here and she looks just like me. So safety needs to be inside of our kids. We need to repetitively use marketing to give kids the messages that we want them to live on. And so when we grew up, we got messaging like stop, drop and roll. Don't drown your food. Um, one of my favorites, the sinners used to put out was called they call me yuck mouth because I don't brush. And back then, even now, because I mean, you're looking at TV now, you see wear your mask. You, the other day I saw something for vaccine. And Subaru does it when they talk about the safety of their cars. But we don't market safe principles enough. You know, yeah. And so with kids, every kid has a robust Christmas list. Why? Because they market toys like October to, you know. <laughs> You're being kind, October. I thought July was really around. So there's a lot of stuff there that you, that you really just said. Um, I love the diversity on how you, how you presented the book, how you came up with the idea. So what is the journey for Franny the Nanny? Because here's the thing. You're going to have the opportunity, depending on how you want to develop this persona, of you can even go you know, to real bookstores because they still do exist um, and do like a read along or even go to a school. This gives you multiple options of doing some different, some different things. So will this be a, we'll, we'll call it a character for the, for the sake of saying it, a character that you'll develop, that you'll, that you'll present yourself in real life as part so, of this. So yeah, I mean, I'm looking at all kinds of stuff like her PPE, right? Her PPE is magical. Really, she's supposed to be able to put on her glasses and see all the hazards too. The hat is magical. Mm -hmm. In the book, we say- It sounds like a video game. Yeah, well, I'm, doing, I'm looking at other stuff too, you know, like fa her Franny pack. You know, there are so many things we should be putting in our kids' backpacks, right? So, I mean, it's a lot of things. I have always kind of been a creative person, you know, architecture. I, I would have <laughs> never- I, I didn't. I didn't get that. So, so of course, I, I mean, tell. but <laughs> saving people every day or serving people. 
resources. We don't save people. People save themselves. We serve them where they are. We give them the tools. We give them the education. We give them the light bulb. Um, But serving people every day, really, I'm not going to lie to you, Jay. That's I love corporate safety. I love it um, because I, I could barely tell by your background. And so it is a crosshair to say, do you save them young or do you say try to save them now? Saving them now is difficult because people are armed with knowledge from everywhere. But as far as Franny goes, I'm just on this journey to see where she can go. You know, I woke up the other night in the middle of the night, had my little notepad, wrote about giggles and germs because eventually we're going to have to bring the kids laughter back. Um, And so Franny had a lot to say that morning. Some mornings when I meditate, Franny is not saying a word. Right. Um, But that particular morning I jotted down. I was like, man, that book is almost done. I could really set to writing a whole other book because the characters are here now. Um, But I've already been invited to read at schools. I gave the book free this week because this week is National Childhood Injury Prevention Week, September 1st through the 7th. So all the proceeds are going to charity because that's something else I did during the panty. I started a yeah, I started a charity where, you know, I gave Big Bet my first $10,000 out of my pocket because people want to always fundraise for stuff. And I just believe we're at the hour that we got to get our hands dirty. Um, and so I have a foundation locally where I live, where I support underserved girls. Um, and I grew up in a family of girls. You know, I didn't have a brother growing up with me. And what I have learned and I have not because I'm now I got two men in my house. Right. <laughs> um, but I just know that there is a lot of synergy when girls get like minded, when we really get fixated on trying to improve something, it improves. And, you know, it's so funny because I heard a, a talk radio show the other day where a guy said that men and men have. Uh, equally feminine part that they try to suppress. And he made a point. He said, but every time something is messed up in your life, who do you run to? And he asked um, a famous comedian and he was like, uh, he was like, you run to a woman. And so I do know that safety is a nurture science. We nurture people, right? Um, that's never how it's going to be referred to. Um, Yeah, (laughs) it is a nurture science because we educate, we enforce, but we also rebuild you back. That's why we talk a lot about motivation, building you back up, positive, immediate consequences, you know, praising people for things that they're doing because it is the motivational science there. But Franny could be a powerful tool in starting the conversations young. Um, There's a lot Franny could be talking about, but I hope this book does one thing. That a parent reads it to a kid and say, do you, did you know this? Because when I look back over my life, I cannot remember my mother talking to me about every single one of those things. You know, you learn because you heard stories, such and such was hit by a car or such and such was kidnapped. I grew up during the Atlanta child murders where all those kids were kidnapped. And you know my mind, because the mind is a funny thing. The mind remembers a lot of negative things. My therapist says that it's programmed that way. (laughs) I never remember my mother sitting me and my sisters down saying, you guys don't, you know, I never remembered those conversations. And so what I want Franny to do is to get on the proactive side. So some of that stuff you were talking about, I'm not even talking about a video game, but if that comes in, but using assessments where Franny can broker conversations with parents, you know, to say, hey, your child was assessed. Hey, this is where Franny knows about what your child feels about these things, because something I did in my dissertation was I asked kids how they felt about the dangers. That was eye opening because it wasn't what we thought. 
Um, oh, I, I, I can only imagine that probably that might have been one of the first times that a child really had that conversation because that's not something that you normally would think about or at least even reference for the most part. So I, I could, I could only imagine the, the data set that you ended up getting. Yeah. And I had a big data set, almost 300 students participated. Um, and so, I mean, they had the option to opt out, but very few opted out. And then in the end, I talked to people about just the safety profession. That was another thing. I got two for one in that. I told them on the last day, go to BLS, type in safety and health, look at all the jobs, click on all the jobs. And I had people say, is that real money? Yes. And one person was like, they say a bachelor's degree. Do you need more school? No, it's a bachelor's. So I did a couple of things there. But what I found was people still don't know this profession exists. We are losing. We have to get on the winning side of this. We got to start not just talking about Franny the safety nanny being a real profession because it is a nurture profession. Safety is. I don't care what people say. It's science. You're right. You're, you're, science. Spot on. you're spot Yeah, on. but we need to introduce our profession to more people. And so Franny is going to take kids on that journey and we will see where she ends up. I don't know yet. You know, I don't, these creative ways come and go. You know, I said to myself, I only want to work till I'm 60. Then I want to do all my philanthropy, all the things I really enjoy doing. Um, Cause I used to speak on the circuit. I stopped a lot of that. Um, when I, 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 I don't know why, <laughs> I do not know why I'm over here motivated. And I'm like, just take it. Matter of fact, let's just turn it over. You take over the whole thing. I used to do a lot of that <laughs> stuff. And then life just got busy and it called when I was writing my dissertation. But I'm such a believer that everything we have to live full and die empty, we should be giving our knowledge away. You know, I tell my kids all the time, you don't have to make the same mistakes I have because I'm handing you the roadmap. You know, you don't have to go down these dead end roads because I'm giving you the playbook. And so that I just think we have a lot of ground to cover for our profession and we got to start younger. And hopefully Franny opens that conversation up. Well, Francine, let me ask a couple of weird questions. If people want to know more about you and about Franny the Nanny, where can they find out more info? Okay, so if you go to Amazon, Barnes & Noble, because she's being sold on those, um, you can look up the Arthur page. You'll see contact information. I've already got a couple schools say, hey, Fran, do you charge to come read in person? Like, no way. Um, you know, I will do virtual read-ins because right now we are still in a panty. Um, but if they want, they can Google. Google has my whole life. Funny story. My son is like, Ma, I Google you everything. I Google dad nothing. <laughs> and so I don't know if my <laughs> Is he within earshot distance? You're so brave. <laughs> but well, my husband is in safety too. My husband does the he does the cleanup because he's in EMS. So oh, okay. yeah. So he's on that side of it. So I say I try to save people from having to call my husband. And so, yeah, but my son is always laughing, like, I Google you, Ma. Everything. <laughs> I Google that. Nothing. You know. You are still trying to cause cause some trouble there inside of your household. Well, I, appreciate you. <laughs> I appreciate you coming on to the show, and I want you to know at any particular point, if you have anything going on, I would love to come to actually have you come back on. Jade is so generous of you. I never forget the generosity of people. I'm just happy and honored that you brought me on for my book, and I hope that people get their free download before the fifth. Have two more days. Don't click the Kindle Unlimited. Click uh, shop all formats and just click the Kindle for the zero dollars because it will go off free sale on the six. Um, and I hope that people broker these conversations with their kids. And if Franny does anything else and makes any unique appearances, 
I'll definitely pitch back on to you first, Jay. Thank you so much for having me. You're too kind. Want more of the Jay Allen Show? Go to safetyfm.com. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and its guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the company. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are only examples. They should not be utilized in the real world as the only solution available as they are based only on very limited and dated open source information. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the company. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system, or transmitted in any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic, recording, or otherwise, without prior written permission of the creator of the podcast, Jay Allen. Hey, are you tired of hanging around and talking about safety in a boring kind of format? Well, I got something for you. If you haven't hung out with us yet at safetyfm.com, I'm going to encourage you to do so. Yeah, if you come out to Safety FM, you can come hang out with all kinds of safety professionals. Some are safety professionals. Some are just people that are talking about safety. But we want to do it in a format that makes it fun and entertaining. If you're kind of trying to figure out what the FM portion is, well, we're a radio station and also a podcast network. You can come out, hang out, and listen to my show, The Jay Allen Show. You can listen to Todd Conklin with a pre-accident investigation. Blaine J. Hoffman with the Safety Pro, The Hop Nerd, Sam Goodman, just to name a few on what could be found on the station. Different things for different people trying to bring safety in an entertaining form. SafetyFM.com. Go to the website, download the app, and carry it with you all day long. SafetyFM.com. We'll be waiting for you. So do you feel like you're missing out on what everyone is starting to do now, that live streaming thing, and you don't know where to start or what to do? I have the resource and the information to provide to you in regards on how you can stream onto 40 social media platforms all at one time. Yes, that's 44-0 social media platforms all at one time. All you'll need to do is go to safetyfm.com forward slash one. That's safetyfm.com forward slash one. That's O-N-E. So just in case, and you'll be able to start live streaming just like you're hearing people starting to do right now up to 40 social media platforms.